Todd Young picks up a big endorsement. Will it matter come November? The candidates for governor engage. Mike Pence helps sell the Trump immigration plan and lawmakers consider LGBT protections again. That plus the Hoosier influence on Dancing with the Stars and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending September 2, 2016. <laughs>
the, the U.S. chamber and the state chamber endorse a Republican? Wow! Well, the story's a million wow. and a half dollars. Yeah, but even so, they're not going to be able to convince Hoosiers who have voted for Evan Bayh for the last, what, 30 years, that he's not a Hoosier? I mean, these are the same people who wanted Dan Coats, who hadn't voted in Indiana in 10 years, didn't own property in Indiana, was a registered lobbyist, wanted to retire to North Carolina, and they put him in... It's nonsense. Support but what's Luger. really amazing about this is when you listen to what Todd Young said about a worker endorsement, this from the guy who didn't want to provide resources to workers whose jobs were outsourced. This is the guy who takes money from Carrier who exports jobs you, from Indiana to Mexico, and he thinks this is a worker endorsement. This is about who gets the money, and the you, chamber wants to make sure that their people get it and not the workers. You seem to be a little sensitive about well, this. Well, I, I, you know, the idea that the chamber comes in, I just hope that any Democrat watching this, including Evan Bayh, realizes that the chamber it has the uh, Republican Party as a wholly owned subsidiary, and any Democrat who's in, in, uh, uh, not certain about how they want to vote should not vote for the cha well, National they, Chamber of Commerce. They, they, the they endorsed Joe Manchin in West Virginia in 2010. Wow. So, well, it, it, wow. It, it's happened. One swallow does not a summer make. There you go. Um, <laughs> Could control of the Senate come down to Indiana? Oh, I think it absolutely could come down to Indiana. If you look at the, the way the races are breaking, where the money's being spent, uh, Mike's point about it being in a very expensive state says all you really need to say about the fact that there's already been a ton of money spent and there'll be a ton of money spent between now and, and the election. So I think, you know, the returns from Indiana and the race between Evan Bayh and, and uh, Todd Young will be important in control of the Senate. So you got the million and a half from the U.S. Chamber. Four million came in from Mitch McConnell's pack against Evan Bayh this week. You got a couple of million from the Koch brothers. I mean, it, this guy's a target. Oh, I, as has been said here, I, I, this is a targeted race. This is a very competitive race. And it got more so the moment that Evan Bayh entered the race uh, a few months back. So it, that's not surprising that the outside dollars are, are flowing in here. It, it promises to be a record breaker, undoubtedly. Uh, Some people uh, have suggested it could be a $50 million race, oh, it's, it's, which would break the record. And again, I think that is, a, if, if the Senate were not in play, you would not see this kind of money, obviously. Right. Uh, but that's what's driving this. And, and as far as the, the, uh, the endorsement by the chamber, I'm sure it's a tough one for Evan Bayh to swallow because he had always positioned himself as governor and subsequently as, as a member of the Senate as sort of the, the different kind of – I mean, he even was part of a leadership of an, a group called The Third Way, was it, uh, where it's, which is council. about uh, – Democratic Leadership Council, which is all about you know, right. having a better relationship with the business community and being about economic development. And so shows it's, it's not worth anything. Well, it's it, not it, worth anything, because when push comes to shove, they're Republican, <clears throat> plain and simple. They want to make sure that workers' rights are, are tamped down. They want to make sure the taxes are cut on business, and that's all they care yeah, about. I think it's a reflection of how Biden's done in the first month. He's pretty rusty at this. He's not, he's not running a great <laughs> campaign here. Well, I, think, I think he expected a coronation when he came back. That it, that it'd he's going to win. be right in the middle. He's going to win, the and they're going to have egg all over their faces, yeah. spending $50 million and losing. Well, that's usually how it goes, John. but I, I think well, we got a pretty good is, shot. And there's win. outside interest invested in this now. I mean, people outside of, of Indiana are looking at it and saying, no. Of course. No, they, those, they don't want the federal government to do anything. Give John a chance. Those, those are resources that they thought were going to go somewhere else. That's and that's true. why I think it's important in this race, too, because now they have to concentrate on a place where they didn't think they were going to have to concentrate. And a lot of resources, as we've seen by the 
money that's poured in have come here instead of being able to in use that somewhere else. Or, or uh, New Hampshire or other places where they're in danger of losing seats. But because of the stakes being so high, it doesn't seem as if it's uh, taking money away from uh, well, any that's other a, race. That's, that's it's an just drawing, point. I think, more money Additional from the money sidelines. In, yeah. All right. It's good. It puts it all back in the economy, and they're still going to lose. Moving on. The candidates for governor appeared together at the Chamber of Commerce Hobnob this week to answer questions from yours truly. They also appeared at an education forum moderated by former Chief Justice Randall Shepard. Republican Eric Holcomb, Democrat John Gregg, and Libertarian Rex Bell spoke about issues that include pre-K funding. Here's Gregg, followed by Bell and Holcomb. We can do a full-day pre-kindergarten program without increasing taxes. It's not so much that I'm opposed to pre-K as I'm opposed to government being involved in pre-K. It calls for this close, as I said, alignment between the business community and our schools, uh, philanthropic interests as well. And Delaney, is that a defining oh, issue? I, I think it is because John Gregg clearly favors pre-K and Eric Holcomb doesn't. And neither did Mike Pence. Eric Holcomb favors down. an expansion. He oh, doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. He's one with the United Way. He's at a time. With Lily, one student at a time. With... One student at a time. We don't even have full day kindergarten for everybody in this state. And John Gregg is for both, and he has a way to pay for it. Eric Holcomb doesn't. And on top of that, Mike Pence turned down eighty million dollars to expand this before, and that's Eric Holcomb's record too. So yeah, there's a defining issue between the two of them. Does this resonate with voters? It does Absolutely. resonate. It should. It should. I'm a parent of three. I've got three young kids. You know, it would. It you're, you're also. We should. We should point now. out. You're also Eric Holcomb's campaign manager. Also true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we forgive you for that. <laughs> Eric Holcomb's four, uh, four pre-Ks. Four uh, up to two hundred percent of the federal poverty level. Somebody else pays for it. No, but not up no. to two hundred percent of the poverty. Two hundred percent of the federal poverty. You take the everybody. You take the most vulnerable kids and you put them first. John Gregg's plan is to take vouchers away from kids who have left failing schools, yeah, send them back to failing schools, know, and use them to pay pre K for everything. You don't know vouchers whether the schools they're going to are failing or not. Because Mike Pence and Eric Holcomb have no way. There's a reason no those kids way, left those schools. They have no way There's of measuring. There's a reason those kids left those schools. They have no way of measuring whether those private schools are doing no any better for those children or not. Michael, you know it. John. <laughs> Will pre-K be a deciding factor, the positions on pre-K be a deciding factor in this race? No. I, I, I think there, it's an important issue. Education is always a key issue. I mean, it makes up the bulk of state, the state's budget, so of course it's going to be on uh, top of everyone's mind. But that issue alone I don't think uh, would do it. Because really it seems to me that what you have here, aside from the libertarian candidate who's saying, you know, I like the notion of pre-K, I just don't want any... Government, government in, involved, right. which, which means its position on pretty much everything. Which is everything. But, it, but when you look at the other two uh, candidates, it, they're not arguing about the value of pre-K or the notion that it, it could advance the no, state. they're just putting up excuses for why we can't do it. That's Nobody what Eric Holcomb is doing. I think it's just... Yeah, he is. You say it can't be done I don't think there's enough of a difference or dichotomy on the issue oh, that, yeah, it, there that, is. it's, that there's a kind of stark relief there that you're, you, you think there is. Well, Mike Pence turned down $80 million to put it across well, the board. Well, I think that's that it is. That and that's Eric Holcomb's, that's mentor. Well, Education's always a big issue. This is the biggest education issue in the governor's I think it is because it gets right down to everybody can understand uh, putting kids in school earlier and giving them a, a better opportunity and a greater opportunity to learn. I think it's interesting to see the evolution of this issue, and I think it turned on that $80 million because this issue, particularly the pre-K or mm -hmm. the kindergarten funding, um, had been championed and championed and championed and got nowhere until this administration. 
Uh, and then it looked like it was going to be an issue good for Republicans until Governor Pence turned that money down and Democrats seized, and it seems to have turned that issue around. So that's why it's such an important issue for John Gregg, and I think that uh, the Republicans are playing catch-up on but this But there had right already now. been one flip in the, I think you're exactly right, that it has been, use whatever metaphor you want, you know, the, the, the ping-pong match. But uh, clearly, even Mike Pence, before the, the vice presidential bid, was recognizing the potency of that issue oh, and, and had sort of turned around and was explaining the $80 million was not the right time, the timing wasn't right, yeah. or the strings well, that are attached. Again, it's the excuses. But I mean, it's excuses that's for not doing what we should have done. It, well, yeah, I it, think you're right, yeah. It, it's an issue that polls well? I'm sure it does. We have, I, but I think it's a popular program, but you don't take $80 million from the federal government, play by their rules, and then have a program you're going to have to pay for forever. That's, the, the math on that is terrible. See? It's an excuse the again. Ma no, the math it's an excuse again. The That's answer is, you, is. Build this into, you build this into existing revenue. I yeah. do and, agree with John Gregg. We're not we raising taxes. And under the Pence and Holcomb administration right. is having a surplus. We don't care about using it for the betterment of the... No one's saying that, don't use it going forward. They're saying put the most vulnerable kids at the front of the line, and let's yeah. start there, just like All on full day kids need it. All Let's move on. Need. It's Governor Mike Pence's role as Donald Trump's running mate to convince voters that Trump is on the right track. Here's how he explained the Trump meeting with the president of Mexico this week. It should be an encouragement to every American uh, that, that beyond all the heated rhetoric of a national campaign, uh, here you saw the current president of a neighboring nation and a man I believe will be the next president of the United States able to sit down, uh, find common ground, uh, and, and begin to establish the kind of relationship that will allow us to make real progress in ending illegal immigration. John Ketzenberger, is that what happened? Well, I wasn't in the room, Jim, but if you listen to what the president of Mexico had to say afterwards, it seems to me like uh, Donald Trump was had. Um, he went to Mexico and made, you know, like he was making nice with the president of Mexico, and uh, he comes out and he says, well, we didn't talk about any of that wall stuff. That'll come later. And the president said, well, we talked about it, and he understands that we aren't going to play by his rules. Uh, I think that uh, Governor Pence has got an extremely heavy lift uh, as the person, you know, as the cleaner upper in chief of, uh, you know, what the, what the Donald has to say. He, he, he's doing a good job, though. I mean, he's, he's, he's out there with an explanation for everything, right? Uh, he is, although to, to bolster John's point, it, it, when you're trying to clean up on this particular issue, you're not sure where to put your dustpan and the broom <laughs> because it keeps moving around. Uh, we've, you know, it was the softening last week or the week before, and then it was back to, back to uh, the hardened. In fact, well, the Washington Post this week... They didn't soften their position. They just changed their words. Well, the Washington Post had a great... Uh, take on it. They said how they did a sort of an analysis that showed how uh, the campaign got from point A to point A, yeah. uh, meaning that it was <laughs> right. uh, probably unnecessary at meandering. And that's, right. but you look at this issue, and again, uh, we had this, uh, what is it, a 15-member Hispanic Advisory Council that, that the uh, Trump campaign had put together. I think 10 of them now, two, fully two-thirds, have either left or threatened to leave after the policy speech right. that came this week. So it's, um, I'm not sure what the the past two weeks uh, afforded the campaign in terms of the quote-unquote softening because he's yeah. certainly doubling down on the wall and the notion of, uh, of deportation. Mike, we've talked on, on this program before about how Mike Pence is performing well in his role as running mate, but it's getting tougher, isn't it? Well, I think he is performing well in his, in his role. I think 
Hoosier voters want to be for Trump. I think this is a good example of how he articulated a position and then did the outreach necessary to go and, and try to sell that and, and look presidential in the process. So, um, you know, and, and I think Hoosier voters are looking at Governor Pence and they see him in a new light. They see him in a different context. Um, they see him in a national context and, and, is, and, he's, and he's popular because of it. And there's a reason. I think they see him in a new light. He's the chief pooper scooper is what he is. I mean, all he's doing is running behind trying to say, he really didn't mean what he said. He really didn't mean what he said. It's ridiculous. He should never have been on that ticket to begin with. And But, you know, if he was going to lose for governor, I guess it makes more you know, sense. What I, as I said early on, though, before when this was being speculated about, I didn't think it was going to happen. But in the rare event it did, I was saying there's no downside for Mike Pence. Oh, I think No, I don't think so, that. because if they lose, he's not getting the blame. In the meantime, as has been suggested, he's being held up by national media and others as the adult in the room. He's the, the one with gravitas. I just, he's, Gravitas. I, well, I mean, the one that at least can complete a It's interesting how low the bar is exactly. for Donald Trump when, when, you know, if he goes to Mexico and stands there and looks like he's, you know, being presidential, then everybody's I, right. Everybody's I'm not quibbling with that. I'm just saying uh, the juxtaposition yeah. is what has well, benefited. Well, okay, by comparison, I think yeah. you're probably right. I think right. they're going to go down so badly that it's going to tar Mike Pence as well. So we'll see. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, is Mike Pence doing a good job as Donald Trump's running mate? Your choices are A, yes, B, no, or C, it's hard to tell. Last week's question, where do you think Evan Bai lives? 12% said Indianapolis, 39% said Washington, D.C., 49% said it doesn't matter. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash iwir and look for the poll. State lawmakers often decide which issues to pursue in the General Assembly based on summer study committees. And that's why they took testimony this week on proposed new protections for the LGBT community. The hearing attracted an overflow crowd, and most of the testimony came from corporate leaders who say Indiana needs to do more to present itself as a welcoming state. It's the follow-up to the RIFRA debate that took place in 2015 amid protests and boycotts. Lawmakers passed a RIFRA fix that left local civil rights ordinances in place. The 2016 legislature rejected attempts to create statewide protections, but business leaders say they are still necessary. Here's Mark Fisher of the Indy Chamber, followed by Micah Clark of the Indiana Family Association. We're not out of the woods yet. Um, the issue is still brought up in economic development deals. It's brought up in convention uh, attraction efforts and talent attraction efforts. You're either going to take liberties away from one group to give to another. That's not expanding civil rights when you harm religious freedom. Trying to uh, separate these issues and deal with them individually is extremely difficult. And that's committee chairman Greg Stewart-Wald indicating that it's likely lawmakers will wait to take action until most issues are decided by the federal courts. John Schwannis, are lawmakers looking for a way to avoid this issue? I think uh, that's a pretty safe guess. Um, the, chat, the question, f for a number of reasons, some very legitimate, and the courts, so many of these issues are embroiled in, in, in legal battles right now. You're shaking your head, but that is the case when you it, look at it's some... It's not, of actually, because it's, we're talking about the federal government doesn't give LGBT rights, so there is no federal cause of no, action No, but you look at in, in North Carolina and some of the other states we're where... We're talking have about this the, the Johns is a different, or the bathrooms. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a minute. All right, all right. But, but it's, uh, it's... The question is, can they avoid it? Because but, there's so much... Well, this, uh, so much... Uh, 
support on each side. I mean, well, this is an issue of significance for, for both sides. So even if lawmakers are not interested, there will yeah. be a push on both sides. The only thing that might argue toward if they handle it, it's because it's going to be after an election. Well, That's well, the only thing that would have I, going At the moment, it. I think there's some, among lawmakers, there's some riffraff fatigue. I think that's absolutely true. I think they, they feel like they've heard this many times. Uh, they had the bill. Uh, they fixed the bill. Um, I think many of them are, are you know, happy to wait and want to wait to see. But I do think that, that the point that Micah Clark made is one that carries a lot of weight in the legislature and I think needs to be reconsidered because you know, the notion that you take away rights from somebody else to grant rights to somebody else is, is specious. Um, you know, rights are rights, and I think that uh, that's where the issue comes down and what the courts will have to determine. Well, and I think, to your point, the legislature is tired of this, but it's not going to go away. But the point of this hearing, I do believe, was, was to, to demonstrate that neither side is willing to compromise, and so therefore there's no reason to, to consider it, this. It's four words in a comma is all you need for this. That's all you need to fix it, and it isn't fixed. And in fact, in some of the communities that have tried to do, pursuant to the state statute, to have local ordinances in this regard, they're under lawsuits, not being at the moment defended by the Indiana Attorney General, who apparently can pick and choose which laws he wants to defend. The, the problem is there is no federal cause of action because there is no federal protection for the LGBT community. So the, the, the argument that we have to wait for the federal court to act on that is specious. Is this going they just don't want to do anything about ending discrimination. I was part of the uh, part of the effort in in this past legislative session. I led the lobbying effort for the business uh, coalition. Um, and one one frustration we had coming out of that is that there's not a lot of oxygen for these issues right now. Uh, the the public's not really engaged. They have fatigue too. Um, statewide, we know Indiana's not there. We've seen some communities uh, pick this up: Columbus, Indianapolis, of course, Carmel. Uh, and, and there's 15 total, I believe, now statewide. But um, going forward to the next legislative session, I don't think there's. Um, I just don't think there's going to be an appetite to reengage here. And there's really not on the ground. There's really no. There's really no demand for it right now. I do think, though, this is a short-term debate. I mean, if you zoom in on this uh, session by session, you may see debate. But when you zoom out and get the yeah. big picture. It's a moot point because in 10 years, 15 years, maybe less time than that, well, society and societal sentiments will overtake the General Assembly. All right. In the meantime, that hearing also led to a debate over gender-neutral bathrooms. Conservatives turned out in force to call for a new bathroom bill in Indiana, similar to the one that has caused so much controversy in North Carolina. One after another, opponents to LGBT protections also spelled out their support for the bathroom bill because they said school children will be placed at risk otherwise. Here is Tea Party activist Monica Boyer, followed once again by Micah Clark. All they have to do is feel like the opposite sex. Tell me, what teenage boy wouldn't leap at the idea of showering with the girls? Schools, that whole issue of uh, restrooms, gender identity, who gets to go in what restroom, I think it's a giant mess that the courts will work out. The transgender folks are using the bathroom of their choice currently. Uh, and I don't know that that has become an issue. And that's Senator Travis Holdman indicating that it's unlikely a bathroom bill will get a hearing in the 2017 General Assembly. And Delaney, who wins if we maintain the status quo? Well, I think at least I think it'll hurt the fundraising for some of these uh, right-wing Tea Party groups that want to raise it. 
but I, I think the senator's correct. I, this is a solution in search of a problem. We've dealt with this issue all through these years, and we can continue to deal with it. And, and the idea that any teenage boy is going to walk into a girl's shower and say, I'm here, is ridiculous. I mean, it's absurd. And it just shows you how, how paranoid these people are that, that, they, that they think that there's a real problem here. Well, there was a bill last year. It didn't get a hearing. Uh, again, I think that what, what happened this week was that lawmakers uh, did an airing uh, of the issues so they can say that this is not something we should tackle next year. That's well, totally sure I agree with that premise. Uh, Senator Tim Lannon, Democrat leader, asked for this, uh, for this hearing to take place. Uh, leaders easily could have said no and just moved on um, and, and just not, have not said anything about it, but they did. And, and Senator Long, uh, to his credit, last session, along with Senator Holdman, who carried the bill, did have this debate during the uh, uh, during the last legislative session? Republicans led it, um, and they didn't have to do that either. They're, 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 and they caught you know, and Senator Long politically caught a primary opponent because of it. And you know, obviously easily survived that, but but they have they haven't been forced to do any of these things. All right, finally, IndyCar driver James Hinchcliffe is in the 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 market for dancing shoes. Hinchcliffe is one of the participants in season 23 of Dancing with the Stars. He will be paired with Australian professional dancer Sharna Burgess, and he has big shoes to fill. Fellow driver Elio Castroneves won the competition in 20, in 2007. Hinchcliffe said, this will rank just above the Indy 500 as one of the most nerve-wracking things that I've ever agreed to do. Michael Bryan, you buy that? I do buy that. I'd rather, I'd rather have a rocket underneath my, underneath my butt and race around the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway than dance in front of a camera. So. I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen you perform in public. You, you're not afraid of that. He's great. Given where James Hinchcliffe is accustomed to starting most races, does this make him a pole dancer? Uh, oh, my. No, I don't oh. think so. you got to think about uh, that. Oh. Also, also in the competition, That's bad, uh, Kenny Babyface Edmonds. Yeah, we've got a lot of Hoosier connections to the uh, Dancing with the Stars. But they're all pale. This is comparison. a lot safer than driving in the but, 500. But Ryan Lochte going to get all the attention because, you know, because that's the scandal du jour. Yeah. Well, and if he doesn't win, he'll claim he got robbed. <laughs> oh, that was and you're complaining about pole dance? Indiana <laughs> Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at WFYI.org slash IWIR or starting Monday. You can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. Join us next week because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.